It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, uh, Febu- uh, February 28th, 2013 is on the air. We're glad that you're here with us tonight. I sound funny to me. Do I sound funny to you? Uh, well, you mean more than usual, I guess. Well, I guess. Sounds all right. Okay, well, all right. Well, we're glad that you're here, and I hope that I'm here. Dad, yeah, uh, I hear you. My father, Greg Gwynn, is to my right. Hello, Dad. Great to be with you tonight, Jacob. Looking forward to our discussion on the Virtual Bible Study. We are looking forward to it, and we're glad that you're here as well. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com, and the chat room to the right of your video window is open. If you're watching us on the live feed tonight, we'll look forward to hearing from you there on it. Interesting uh, topic, a topic that is age-old, but uh, one that uh, is uh, worthy of some discussion tonight. I think we want, we're going to, our plan is to discuss the topic of grace, Jacob, and it's an, it is an important topic, and and I would have to say that I believe we've probably neglected it on the virtual Bible okay. study. I was looking back through our archives, and of course, saying that, we remind you that we've got all the archive programs of, uh, what, Almost well, over seven years it'll worth. It will soon of, be eight. Coming up this summer will be eight years worth of virtual Bible studies. All the archives are on the website. And actually, you can use that as a fairly decent resource if you're studying some subject. We, we may have dealt with it. There's a good probability that we have. And you might be able to get some things that might help you in your study if you look in the archives. But as I was looking at those archives, I saw that we had just done one program devoted entirely to grace. And that was clear back in 2006. So... Again, I, I believe that this is probably a subject that we haven't spent enough time talking about. All right. Well, we'll look forward to talking about it tonight. It is not a subject that's without controversy, and maybe some uh, some new discussion has been uh, brewing lately on the subject, and we'll look forward to talking about that. Uh, we want to hear from you on the program. Uh, let us know your thoughts. You sent out earlier today some, some uh, questions that will sort of serve as our outline for the program tonight. That's right, and we always – wanting more feedback we've got a, a little bit now i think people must have been pretty busy today we didn't get a lot of advanced feedback so we'll be looking but for it's your trickling feedback. in now yeah, very we'll, slowly we'll look we'll look forward to that if you haven't responded uh it'll be a great time for you to get your thoughts together yeah and so uh to our update list earlier today remind you always if you're not on the update list get on it send a question send an email to questions at collegeview.com add me to the list is all you need to say and we will do it and on Thursdays, you'll get an update such as this one that we sent out today. And I'll real, real quick go through our questions. You'll see where we're heading with this discussion. Number one, what is the proper definition of grace? I think it's very important to get a good, mm-hmm. good definition of the subject. Mm-hmm. Number two, some teach that grace is limited to certain chosen individuals. Is this true or false? Why or why not? Number three, explain how grace can be unearned but also conditional. Uh, that confuses some people. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think some really popular false doctrines regarding grace are sort of centered around the fact that people can't harmonize the idea of unearned but still conditional. So we'll talk about that. Number four, how is grace linked with A, learning, and B, obedience? 
Number three, does, or excuse me, number five, does grace do anything for us in an ongoing way? In other words, was grace accomplished at one point in the past or does it continue to function? Number six, can grace be refused? Can it be lost after it's been obtained? And finally, would grace allow us to disregard sin in our own lives or in the lives of others? Or would it allow us to overlook differences and extend fellowship to those who disagree on doctrinal issues? Okay. Those are good questions. And uh, as Patrick from Birmingham has responded tonight, he doesn't think we'll get through all this. If we do, and we're not going to be able to get through any of these questions in great detail because of the uh, Well, I think you could spend just really hours on every one of the things, but we want to try to get the whole picture in our study tonight, so we'll try to cover it. All right, and we'll look forward to your help. 877-381-4567 is the best way for your voice to be heard. Well, it's the only way for your voice to be heard, but your thoughts can be heard. Questions at collegeu.com or the chat room tonight, and we'll look forward uh, to you joining in there. Well, uh, you know, I think uh, this subject is one that uh, we understand there's a lot of false doctrine on in the denominational world, a lot of misunderstanding. I'm afraid there's maybe some misunderstanding among brethren today on, on grace and how it affects us in our lives, and, and so it's important that we talk about this. All right, let's start out with the definition, Jacob. Okay. Uh, uh, Jack in Hampshire, Tennessee, has written an email to us. I see him also in the chat room. He says, grace, as in terms of what I believe is the intent of your study tonight, would be defined as unmerited favor. It's, quote, free, divine favor. And then he says it's a gift which is available to all mankind. The gift is, uh, this gift is salvation. I, I think Jack is on track here with what we're thinking concerning a good definition of, of favor. Uh, the idea of unmerited favor is, is the classic definition of grace. You know, the word grace, uh, the Greek word in the New Testament, has a meaning. That word has a meaning. We're not free to just assign any meaning to it that we want. Mm-hmm. The word has a meaning, and and Greek authorities would suggest to us that it it has the it, it conveys the idea of favor, yeah. uh, pleasantness. Uh, in other words, and in, in regards to God's grace, He looks on us with favor. He has a pleasant disposition toward us. Mm-hmm. We always add the word unmerited because the fact is that. We don't deserve him to look on us right. with favor. Right. You know, the, we deserve to be sent to hell mm-hmm. uh, and burn eternally in its tormenting fires because we have fallen far short of what God expects of us. And so if God is looking on us with favor, it's certainly an unmerited thing, and therefore we call grace unmerited favor. Guest 331 says one way I've heard grace defined is getting what you do not deserve. And that's a, that would be another angle on that. I appreciate that, Guest 331. Uh, Patrick in Birmingham has sent in uh, some quotes from the Catholic Catechism that say this of grace. Our justification comes from the grace of God. Grace is favor, the free and undeserved help that God gives us to respond to his call to become children of God, adoptive sons, partakers of the divine nature and of eternal life. Grace is a participation in the life of God. It introduces us to the intimacy of Trinitarian life by baptism. Uh, The Christian participates in the grace of Christ, the head of his body as an adopted son. He can uh, henceforth call God Father in union with the Holy Son. He receives the life of the Spirit who breathes uh, charity into him and who forms the church. Thank you, Patrick, for sending that. Um, Here's a little information on the root word uh, in our Greek New Testaments. Uh, The the word in grace in the Greek uh, is related to the word that means to rejoice, 
it has denoted sweetness or attractiveness. It came to signify favor or goodwill and loving kindness, especially as granted by a superior to an inferior. In the New Testament, grace appears 156 times. Uh, takes on special redemptive sense in which God makes available his favor on behalf of sinners who actually do not deserve it. Okay. Um, in uh, the chat room, I see... Um, the servant uh, in the chat room says it it helps to think of grace like opportunity. Without faith, grace doesn't save. Grace is the opportunity of a relationship to God, spiritual growth, and so forth. I think that's that's probably true, but that's not the meaning of the word grace. Grace, because of grace, we have the opportunity. Grace is not the opportunity, but because God has looked upon us with favor, he's made the opportunity available to us uh, for salvation. Yeah. So grace has made available an opportunity. Grace is not the opportunity, but grace has made an opportunity available for us to be in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus and Christ. And it's closely associated with right, God's right. grace towards us. And along those lines, Jeff, who is behind the controls tonight, Jeff, thank you for being here. Jeff has said that uh, we, ought to, we ought to talk about mercy and uh, and obedience. Those would be as closely associated with grace as well. And uh, but uh, so there are lots of associated topics that go along with this discussion. But I think for the purpose of our study tonight, Jacob, we need to sort of center on the idea that grace involves God looking on us with favor. And since we don't deserve it, it is unmerited or unearned. We we he does that even though we should receive the opposite. He gives us a favorable look. Okay. Made of and, and of course. Through that, then he's made opportunity available for a relationship with him and salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All right. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, look forward to hearing from you tonight. Um, all right. Let's go to the second okay. question, Jake. Let's, okay. let's talk about the universal nature of God's grace. Mm, this is important. I, I ask the question, uh, some teach that grace is limited to certain chosen individuals. Is this true or false? Why or why not? Of course, what we're alert, alluding to there, Jacob, is the doctrine of Calvinism mm -hmm. that says that there are certain ones who are elected to salvation. Yes. Um, and and only those ones uh, have the opportunity for salvation to enjoy the benefits of God's grace. Uh, but but you have to be among the elected ones. You either are or you aren't. And if you are, then that's good. But if you aren't, there's nothing you can do about that. And you're just in a... In a permanently lost, undone situation from which you cannot be retrieved. All right. Well, uh, Patrick sort of picked up on your on your indication there, your your uh, leading question. He says, I'm assuming you're referring to the Calvinist doctrine of predestination. Indeed, predestination is reality, but the Calvinist understanding of it is not. God gives his grace to all humanity. That apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that God desires all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. It is impossible for man to come to faith, let alone obedience, apart from God's grace. Therefore, God must give grace to all mankind so that all mankind has an opportunity to be saved. Obviously, God has the prerogative to give as much grace as he wishes any person. So while everyone is given enough grace to have the opportunity, there are some who, like Jeremiah or John the Baptist, were given extraordinary grace uh, even before they were conceived. Likewise, we see that Jesus singled out Peter as a recipient of special favor when he said that he had prayed specifically for Peter so that he would repent and strengthen his brothers. So everyone receives grace, but not everyone responds to it. Some use their free will to reject it, and not everyone receives the same amount of grace. Okay, I, I, I think I would agree that. 
The idea of different ones receiving different measures of grace or some special, especially in regards to the time that Jesus was alive on earth, he granted special favors to various individuals. Now to receive the favor of God through Christ Jesus, we could only do it in compliance with or in terms of what's revealed in the scripture. In other words, Jesus is not here to bless us specifically as he was, for instance, the case of Peter or others that he healed or did other things. So for us to receive the grace would have to be in direct relationship to what's revealed about how we get that in the scripture. Okay. Patrick mentioned a verse or two that suggests that God's grace is extended to all there are others. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. To all men, the grace of God extends to all men. I said those two, the all men and grace are tied together in that verse, Titus 2.11. Yeah, and the one that Patrick mentioned was 1 Timothy 2 verse 4. Here's another, Hebrews 2 verse 9. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. God has made his grace available through Jesus Christ for every man, not just for certain men, but for all men. So those who teach unconditional election and limited atonement, two of the aspects of Calvinism, are just wrong about that. And so we should be very grateful that whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever situation you find yourself in, God makes his grace available. Okay. Let's take a break on that. And when we get back, you talked about the fact that it is available for all. And you alluded to the fact that it is conditional. And we want to talk about that. How can grace be unmerited or unearned favor but at the same time be conditional? That appears to me that you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. It appears to me that you've got a contradiction there, that it is conditional yet it is unearned. I think we can explain that. I really don't think it might sound a little confusing, but I think we can explain it. All right. We're going to talk about that. Before we go to the break. I can't see that. My computer is totally locked up. Uh-oh. It's terrible over here. I hope it's better on your side of this. You're going to have to reboot, I think. I'm going to have to hope that. Before we go to the break, Jack suggests 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And Jack adds, just because all will not be saved doesn't mean God doesn't give all the opportunity to be saved. These two passages show God gives this opportunity to all. That's right. Okay. All right, we're going to take a break, and uh, we'll get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Enjoying the Virtual Bible Study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? The virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? Here's some quotes worth pondering. Before you embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. When anger rises, think of the consequences. To see what's right and not do it means that either courage is lacking or basic principles. Man, wish I'd said that. 
Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And we're checking our email waiting for you to send us your thoughts at uh, questions at collegeu.com as we talk about grace on the program tonight. It is a fundamental uh, concept uh, to those who want to be pleasing to God, but it is a misunderstood concept, unfortunately, and so uh, and a misused concept, and we want to talk about that on the program tonight. We've talked about some of those already, the idea that uh, grace is limited. It's not made available for all. Which and, is a false doctrine, and yeah. a easy, I, think, I think that one's pretty easily addressed. I think the Bible is very clear on that. I, I'm actually surprised Calvin was a pretty good student. I'm surprised that, that John Calvin couldn't see that point. Yeah. Uh, uh, it seems just really obvious. It does. But, but uh, now um, you mentioned the fact that it is conditional. Show us some verses that, that, that indicate that. Okay. Well, before I do that, I want to pick up a comment in uh, the chat room. Uh, the servant in the chat room since, says, Since God sustains us directly, Colossians 1, isn't the fact that we're alive? Grace isn't that uh, the very fact that we're alive? Isn't that unmerited favor of God? And I suppose it is, but I, I think that the word grace, certainly as we're talking about it today, involves spiritual things. The, the spiritual relationships that God has been made, made available to us through Jesus. But on a bigger, by, well, by, by definition, the fact that you have anything to eat today, or the fact that you have rain or sunshine that would i mean we don't deserve well, any of that well that's right and the scriptures say that all such things are from god james 1 17 every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning so we believe that every good thing comes from god and in that sense god blesses you know jesus said that he sends his reign on the just and the unjust and uh let's see that was in the sermon on the mount is that chapter uh five um Matthew 5, verse 45, Your Father which is in heaven maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. So in that sense, all men are, are recipients of favors from God, and in fact, they don't deserve them, and so you could call that grace. But when we're talking about the subject of grace, typically we're talking about spiritual things and the spiritual relationships that have been made available for us through Jesus Christ. Okay. So right. good, good, good distinction. There, I'm though, just now getting back in the chat room, boy. I've been missing out. If you're not in the chat room tonight, you need to be. And if you can, if you're not signed in, it's very easy to do. You don't have to give any personal information. You can sign in, like guest 331 or guest 826, and send in your comments. All right. So let's go to this question: How can grace be unearned but also conditional? Okay. Um, it, that sounds that sounds sort of oxymoronic, sort of self-contradictory to say it's unearned but conditional, and some people really have trouble reconciling that in their mind. But if you think, about it, I think I can suggest numerous illustrations that describe how that works. Okay, give me one. Okay, if you will come to my house tomorrow, mm -hmm. I will give you a thousand dollars. Okay. All right. So if if you came to my house tomorrow. And I gave you the thousand. Have you earned it? No. But, but I, I'd go and make sure it's not counterfeit. <laughs> yeah, if it's coming from me, you'd better be careful yeah. and count your dollars for sure. But, but you would still have had to have meet meet the condition to come and get it. Okay. But it would still be an unearned gift I get from it. me to yeah. you. Yeah. So, so the uh, the idea of conditions do not necessarily negate the idea of a free gift. Uh huh. Uh, an unearned thing. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that's how we can view grace. God offers it to us. He, he tells, 
tells us upon what terms we can receive it, but that doesn't diminish from the fact that even, in other words, we'll talk, I'm sure, as we get on in our discussion about maybe how baptism relates to how we respond to God in obedience. Mm-hmm. If, without God's grace, you could be baptized a million times. You could be baptized a hundred times every day, because and, bab- and it wouldn't matter. Baptism he, doesn't. Baptism would never earn. save you if God hadn't made that plan available through his son, Jesus Christ. Okay. And so so baptism doesn't earn you salvation, mm-hmm. but sal- baptism is a condition necessary, a okay. term okay. Of, of pardon that God has has put in place for us to receive that gift. So, again, I, I, I would simply say uh, you can reconcile these two things, I think, quite simply by saying that conditions do not negate the gifts. Conditions do not negate the concept of being unmerited or unearned. Okay, good. Let me read to you. Uh, our friend Jeff in uh, Alabama near Birmingham, I think maybe in Warrior, Alabama. I don't know if he says, but I think he's in Warrior, Alabama mm-hmm. near Birmingham. He says... Many now believe and teach that grace means unconditional favor. Notice he, he said they, they're teaching unconditional rather than unmerited favor. Oh, that is. There's a huge difference between the two. Mm-hmm. What is so unfortunate is that those who are advocating this unconditional favor are now telling us that even baptism is not essential to salvation. Right. Nevertheless, although, although salvation by the grace of God cannot be earned or merited, this free gift is still conditional. For example... Could the children of Israel have been saved from their physical enemies, the Egyptians, in Exodus 14, without their baptism? He's talking about the crossing through the Red Sea. Right. Pa- Paul right. called that in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 and 2. He called baptized. them ba- baptized mm-hmm. in the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. He said, could they have been saved without going through the Red Sea? And the answer, of course, is obviously no. They had to cross through. He says, our spiritual antitype called baptism is when and where all our enemies are washed away, Acts 2.38, 22.16, Although we may follow what God told us to do, the blessing acquired is still called a gift, Acts 2.38, Romans 6.23. How much does it cost someone to be baptized? Nothing. It's absolutely free. It's a whole lot easier, baptism is, that is, than crossing on dry land through the midst of the Red Sea. Does anyone really think for one second that in spite of all the transgressions a person has committed, if repentance and baptism was a divine condition for their forgiveness, that God would owe them Eternal salvation with him in heaven. In other words, yeah. he's saying that even if you repent and, be, and are baptized, you haven't earned anything. Right. He says, furthermore, when somebody says our salvation is by faith only because they allege that salvation by that salvation by an unconditional gift, they are misrepresenting two things. First, they are misrepresenting what salvation by grace of God means. Secondly, they're misrepresenting what unconditional means when they say that our salvation is by faith only. When a man requires faith only, he is mandating a necessity which separates his description of the saved from the lost. Hence, even faith only is not something that is unconditional. Consequently, if God may require anything on man's part to be saved by his grace, this salvation may be unmerited, but is certainly not unconditional. Could Naaman have been healed of his leprosy without the condition stipulated in in 2 Kings 5? Did he actually have to dip seven times in Jordan? Yeah. How much did it cost Naaman to dip himself in the Jordan? Does anyone really think for one second that dipping seven times in Jordan is the earning cure for leprosy? Did the children of Israel have actually have to march around Jericho to win the victory over the, their foe in Joshua 6? Did they merit that victory by doing so? Could the blind man have been blessed with physical sight without dipping in the pool of Siloam in the Gospel of John chapter 9? How much did it cost the blind man to dip in the pool? 
What He concludes by saying, what makes more sense? Was dipping in the pool the justifying cure for the blind man, or was his cure accomplished by the manifestation of his faith in the Lord? So he offers several examples, yeah, and I think right. all good ones, to link the idea of unearned but not unconditional. That is, and I, and I was headed to Joshua chapter 6, verse 16, where Joshua says to the people, the Lord has given you the city. The Lord gave the Israelites the city of Jericho, but there were still conditions. They had to, in fact, they had to do some work. The Lord didn't earn the city. God gave it to them, but they still had to meet the conditions of what God said to do there. Yeah. I'll give you another good one from the Old Testament, I think. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 8, Noah found grace. Noah was a recipient of God's grace. So he didn't have to do anything. No, that's not true. Hebrews 11, verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saying of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. So he, he, he received God's grace, but he still had a tremendous amount of work to do uh, in preparing the ark. Genesis 6, verse 22 says, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. He received the grace of God, but he still had lots to do yeah. in conjunction with that. All right. But so... Grace and and meeting terms or conditions, those are not contradictory concepts. All right. So a lot of people are saying though that if you if you have to do anything and and they use the uh, especially like to focus on baptism, but now some of our brethren are even saying that if you that you have to be obedient to the commands that God has given you, then you're negating grace somehow. You're stepping all over it, and uh, those two ideas are. It cannot be in harmony, yet we see from examples in the Scripture and examples you've given from common sense that they, the, the idea of, of following the instructions that God has given us and being recipients of His grace are not mutually exclusive. I'd like to hear your thoughts, if you have any thoughts along those lines. Uh, here's, here's a thought from Jack in, in, via email. He says, I hope I don't confuse anyone, but I'll explain using this analogy. Illegal aliens must meet the conditions for U.S. citizenship such as studying books and successfully completing tests and reciting an oath in order to be eligible for U.S. citizenship. If they're not obedient to these conditions, they wouldn't be considered. But even though they meet these conditions, they've not earned anything. They're not a U.S. citizen. They're not a U.S. citizen until the U.S. government gives them this unearned gift or grants them their U.S. citizenship. Have they earned their citizenship? No. They simply showed their obedience by meeting the established conditions. Grace is the kindness from God we don't deserve. It can't be earned. This kindness is God's gift of salvation, and God has established conditions for this salvation. Those conditions are hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized and remaining faithful till death. If we love him, we'll obey him and meet these conditions. Have we earned salvation? No. We've earned nothing. We have done, what we have done is, what, uh, is we've been obedient to his word. We've met God's conditions. The Hebrew writer tells us that God has given to those of us who have been obedient this wonderful gift, Hebrews 5, 9, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him all right all right i think that's an interesting comparison okay and jack is in the chat room tonight if you'd like to chat with jack they're talking about hebrews 11 in the chat room and listing all the things that people did by faith he faith's hall of fame there in hebrews chapter 11 but there's a lot of people being obedient there in fact everyone's being obedient by their faith and so we have the interconnected Concepts there. Guess 331. I agree that obedience, that uh, being obedient shows our uh, 
love of God, I guess, is what the guest is saying there. But I believe that obedience is only part of it. The relationship with God through prayer and study is very important to a man of grace. Certainly it is. We'd agree with that. Okay. All right. All right. Um, Shall we take a break? Uh, I don't think we got Patrick's we did email. Not. We he did says not. justification establishes cooperation between God's grace and man's freedom. On man's part, it's expressed by the ascent of faith to the word of God, which invites him to conversion and the cooperation of charity with the prompting of the Holy Spirit who proceeds and preserves his, his ascent. I'm not sure what that means. This is, this this is, is from, from the, the Catholic, ca- Catholic Catechism. Catechism yeah. Yeah. Uh, when God touches man's heart through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, man himself is not inactive while receiving this inspiration. I'm not sure I would agree with the Catholic Catechism. Not exactly sure of the, of the terminology there, but it's suggesting that man can only respond to God via a direct action of the Holy Spirit on that person, and I, I, I think that's implying something that I probably don't agree yeah. with there, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure about the terminology. Okay. But uh, justification, he says, it says establishes cooperation between God's grace and man's freedom. Man is free. Man's a, a, a free moral agent, and in his freedom, he has to choose to submit to God's terms to receive his grace. I, I would put it that way. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, get a break, and then we're going to talk about uh, this may be a good segue though into your next question because you asked how is grace linked with learning and with obedience and god's grace is involved in those two acts and we'll we'll talk about that and get your thoughts on that how is grace associated with obedience and with learning let us know your thoughts 877-381-4567 questions at collegeview.com we're back right after this don't touch that mouse the virtual bible study will be back right after this this is greg gwen with this week's bullet point Through the years, various analogies have been used by gospel preachers to represent the plan of salvation. Some have referred to it as rungs on a ladder or steps in a stairway. One well-remembered evangelist would frequently compare the plan of salvation to a combination lock. He would explain that each step had to be taken in the right order, just like entering the numbers on the combination lock, or success could not be achieved. It seems that we've gotten away from such simple preaching of the gospel fundamentals. God has made his plan so plain that folks with the most basic of reasoning abilities can understand it. Yet it seems that too often we fail to really educate people with the most important and basic facts concerning their souls and eternity. We need to get back to those first principles and teach them in a way that cannot be misunderstood. And in case you've forgotten, here is that combination for salvation. You must hear the word, Romans 10:17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You must believe it. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Next, you must repent of your sins. Luke 13, 3 says, Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You must confess faith in Jesus. Romans 10:10 10 says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And finally, you must be baptized for the remission of sins. Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Every Christian should know this plan by heart and be ready to share it with others. And anyone who has not obeyed these simple steps needs to carefully study the Scriptures and obey without further delay. It's God's plan. Very simple. Ultimately important. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, and we're here every week. Uh, brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We 
encourage you to find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. As we mentioned before, there are archives there for almost eight years of this program on a wide variety of subjects, as well as information about the College of Church of Christ and links to a podcast of recent sermons that have been presented here, as well as bulletin articles and other information you'll find helpful. Check out more about us at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We're talking about grace on the program tonight. Jacob, in the chat room, uh, the servant says, Grace allows us to be obedient. We wouldn't have the privilege of serving the high king without his grace. And guest 331 says, I agree, servant. We often think that we have to obey to get the grace of God, but the truth is we need the grace so we can obey. Now, I think, I, I hope I understand what they're saying there, but that the way that they've expressed that could potentially be taken the wrong way. Uh some people have this sort of mystical, mysterious concept about grace. Okay. It's just this nebulous thing out there that's working, and we're not sure how it's yeah. working, but it's it's making it all come together. You know, right. in, in your life, you 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 don't know it, you don't know it or see it or feel it, but it happens. It's like the hand of God sort of stirring it, things yeah. up. And and I don't I don't want those. I, I hope those guys are not suggesting that in the chat room. Yes, we wouldn't have the privilege of serving the High King without His grace. He made it. He made the plan. He put it in place. That in and of itself so that we is could, great. So that we could obey and be His servants. Right. So, Him making the plan available through right. Jesus Christ right. is grace. So we couldn't. We couldn't serve uh, the King. We wouldn't have the privilege of serving the King without grace. Right. Grace made it possible for us to have a relationship with God. And then when it says uh, the, the the part of this that this little concerning is where it says some think we have to obey to get the grace of god but the truth is we need grace so we can obey well that's true we wouldn't have we wouldn't even have an opportunity to obey a plan of salvation without god's grace but again i don't want to leave the suggestion that it's some sort of mysterious better felt than told operation all right the servant follows up says god gave us his will written down to let us know how we can serve him that's grace, right? Yeah, and absolutely that, that, it is, yeah, and that's yeah. where we're going. Appreciate that uh, comment. Right. Uh, yeah, and guest 331 says, yes, definitely don't mean that it's uh, some mystical thing. Yeah, okay, yeah, all right, okay. so we're, we're on the same we're page. Good. We're good, we're, we're on the same page. Just, thanks, thanks, man, I appreciate that. Or women. Men or women. Yeah. Yeah, or, thanks. or kids, or <laughs> who knows? All right, all right, so uh, oh, I had a couple other verses I wanted to throw in here, Jacob, when we were talking about that grace is unearned. Yes. Uh, we talked about it's not that it is conditional, yet it is unearned. Uh, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 will always probably come up in a discussion of this. Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Notice, by grace we're saved through faith. Mm-hmm. We've got to believe that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Uh, we, we we can't be and, and I, I've I've read some things on the internet, some blogs and so forth. People say, oh, we, we're just very uncomfortable with the idea of salvation by grace. I'm not uncomfortable with it. That's what it says. We're saved by grace yeah. um, through faith. It's not of ourselves. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's not earned. It's not merited. That's what we're saying. You can't do enough to earn salvation. He says it's it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Now that's a key expression there. Not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, there are no works the likes of which you could brag about and say, look what I've done to earn my salvation. There are no works like that. But the very next part of the passage says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, 
which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We should walk in good works. It's part of God's plan. But it's not works of merit. It's still unearned. All right. That's great. Uh, so some of these, you, you know, we talked earlier about apparent contradictions. Some of these things you, you, you that, um, that are these concepts, you, if you don't look at them from the right way, you look, it looks like an apparent contradiction. And so uh, we've got to, we've got to be uh, discerning about uh, what the, the passages are teaching us. All right. So now let's go to this next part of our study. We were asking how is grace linked with learning and obedience? Yep. Jack by email says, concerning learning, we must come to know God's will for us. We must know what he expects of us. The only way we can know his will or his mind is to read and learn his will in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. So if we expect to take advantage of this free gift, we'd better read his word and know his will for us. I think that's well said. All right, good. Uh, and uh, we have Patrick in uh, Birmingham. He says, the first work of grace is conversion. Thus, grace guides us into a recognition of our sinful condition and need for salvation. I would say it does that through the word, though, again, as you made notice of earlier. It's not some kind of mystical thing where you have some kind of vision in the night or uh, some type of uh, feeling. It is through the word that grace guides us into an understanding of our sinful condition and need for salvation. God continues his work in us even after we have been justified through faith in Jesus Christ and baptism by continuing to guide us in conversion, which involves a deepened understanding of God and what he desires of us. I agree with that again, but it's done through his work. Through his word. I think we'd have to emphasize that for sure. Okay. All right. So we see that we have to learn uh, that, that, that having uh, uh, the ability to enjoy the grace of God requires us learning about it. Notice Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The grace of God teaches us yeah. what we should do. Yeah. No, in other words, God just doesn't zap us with his grace and, you know, suddenly, here I am. You know, yeah. he did it to me. Yeah. No, I... He teaches me what to do. And then in my free will, I decide to be obedient to that. We'll talk about obedience here in a minute. Again, you didn't deserve to be taught that. Yeah. And um, you, we deserve to, to die as a result of our sin. But he has been gracious on us to teach us through his word the things that we must do in order to be saved. Yeah. And then in Acts 20, verse 32, when Paul was giving his parting words to the elders of the church at Ephesus, he said, Brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Notice the word of his grace is what gives an inheritance. So that we have to, I think Jack said it in his email, we better learn what's in the word because there's the information about this plan of grace. Again, we didn't deserve this this instruction. God's given it to us as a result of uh, the unmerited favor that he's shown us, his grace. All okay, right. now how is grace, so we have to learn okay, about it. How's, it. how's it linked to obedience? How is grace linked to obedience? Okay, now you're going to you're gonna have to explain this one. Okay, Jack says, just as my children show their love for me by obeying my commands, we show our love for God by being obedient to him. If we are obedient, salvation is ours. Hebrews 5, 9 tells us this gift of salvation is only available to those who obey God. So there's lots of there's lots of Bible passages that link the necessity of obedience to receive the gift of salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, even on Acts in Acts two thirty eight, the previous verse Acts two thirty seven, the people said, "Men and brethren, what shall we do?" 
Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In order to be forgiven, they were told what they had to do. So they, they learned what was required. Then they had to decide to obey that in order to receive the blessing. Yeah. And it's the same for us. Okay. All right. Uh, Patrick uh, says, Paul speaks of this in Philippians 1, verse 6, where he says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus of Christ Jesus. Grace motivates us and strengthens us so that we are enabled to continue in obedience to God, so that we can t- continue to grow in holiness. We still have fr- free will to reject God if we desire, but we have God's aid in continuing in obedience. Yeah, and I really think that that answer, and I see... Uh, uh, the servant in the chat room doing the same thing. I think that answer goes to the next question as well. So we'll hang on to that. Uh, but I, I hope we've, throughout our discussion of grace, uh, suggested the necessity of obedience. You have to learn his will. You have to obey it in order to receive the gift. It's not earned. It's it's not merited. But you still got to meet those conditions. So we're sort of going back over some of the same ground. Now, Patrick's answer uh, segues quickly to the next question that we had on the list. Does grace do anything for us in an ongoing way? In other words, was grace accomplished at one point in the past, or does it continue to function? And he mentioned there in his answer, Philippians 1, 6, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. And in the chat room... uh, Let's see, uh, the servant uh, mentioned that same verse and said grace is the source of spiritual growth in us and through us. In other words, we, we need God's continuing favor, again, undeserved, but we need his continuing favor so that we can grow and mature and develop into more and more the person that God desires us to be. All right, how's he, how's he doing that? Well, again, I think it would be through the influence of the Word. The only way, in the, the only way I can possibly know what God wants me to become is, is by reading that in the Scriptures. Right. I'm not learning that uh, by some, you know, uh, again, indescribable revelation. Yeah. I'm, I, I, he's told me what He wants me to do and what He wants me to be, uh, and as I read and learn that and comply with it, then I am becoming more the kind of person He desires for me to be. And so, again through the influence of the word. Uh, Jack in the chat room says, does his, does his providence work in our lives? That is, he works in our lives, yes. Uh, so we believe that, that God is certainly active. We're, we, I wouldn't want to be misinterpreted by anybody to suggest that God's just standing back. You know, he gave us the Bible and then he retreated and he has no active part or role in our lives. Uh, I don't believe that. But we don't have any information about God's. You know, I, I can't say. Jack used the word providence, and I believe in the providence of God. But by the very nature of God's, by the very nature of the providence itself, I can't say God did that. Right. I can believe it. I can have confidence, and I can, uh, my faith uh, uh, accepts that. But I couldn't prove it to someone else. You know, if I was in a discussion with an atheist, I, I might as well not bring up. But I believe that God has providentially done in my life because I couldn't prove it to him if I had to. Faith gives us that assurance, but it's not provable to in, in an uh, uh, empirical way. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, and so, does faith do any, or grace do anything on an on an, un, on an ongoing way? Patrick says this continues my res, with my response to four B. 
Grace indeed is a continuous work. Uh, he references the Catholic Catechism again. Sanctifying grace is a is a habitual gift, a stable and supernatural disposition that perfects the soul itself to enable it to live with God, to act by his love. Habitual grace, the permanent disposition to live and act in keeping with God's call, is distinguished from actual graces which refer to God's interventions, whether at the beginning of conversion or in the course of the work of sanctification. Again, I don't know that I would agree with the Catholic catechism on that uh, exactly. Again, you'd have to read into some of that uh, as to what they would mean there. But uh, the scriptures, I think, are are clear on the subject. Okay. Uh, Guest 331 in the chat room says, I have a question. Why do people see grace as an abstract, impractical concept? In order for us to truly live as justified people, we must act by the principles of the grace of God. And I would agree with that. And and I would just add the addendum there that as revealed in the scriptures. Servant says grace frees us from the bondage of sin. It allows us an option of righteousness when all we have is sin on our own. Again, I think that's true. We we would be uh, doomed sinners if God had not looked upon us with favor when we didn't deserve it. Okay. Why don't we take a break? And because uh, we've got uh, quite a bit of a couple, to cover. couple of important the, questions coming is, up. These are the, these are maybe the more controversial ones. Uh, can grace be refused or lost after it's been obtained? And will grace allow us to disregard sin in our own lives or in the lives of others and overlook differences and extend fellowship to those who disagree on doctrinal issues? There are some people who are saying that the grace, the grace of God will allow him to maybe overlook some certain things in your life or not think it's that big a deal that we agree on what he's told us to do in his commands. And we'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. 13% of public high school biology teachers in the United States expressly advocate creationism in the classroom, while 28% explicitly advocate Darwinian evolution in the classroom. That information is via the New York Times. The Word of God says in Romans 1 verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, Bible class teachers, and all church members had a strong commitment to the Word? Do you recall when you could always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? We're trying to be like a church you read about in the Bible, and we're still doing the same things that you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return for the way things used to be? Come and visit. See for yourself at the College View Church of Christ. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're back on the program talking about grace and uh, trying to get a better understanding of what the Scriptures have told us on this important subject that is fundamental and crucial to us to understand. Now we're asking the question, can grace be refused? Can it be refused? And and Jack in email says, yes, it's not that God refuses to give it to us, but it's we who refuse to repent. King Agrippa in Acts 26, 28 refused to repent. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. Was God's grace available? Yes, but Agrippa refused. Okay. I think that's a good answer. All right, and uh, some passages from the scriptures tell us very clearly uh, that grace can be refused. Jesus sought to show grace unto the Israelites in Matthew chapter 23, verse uh, 37. He says he, uh, or verse, I'm sorry, verse uh, thir- uh, verse uh, t- 37, yeah. 
Uh, he wanted to gather them under his wings, but they would not. They, res- they refused the grace that uh, Christ wanted to show the children of Israel and uh, that God w- has wanted to show to sinners in the past has been refused. All right. I think here's a good verse. James 4, verse 6, he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Yes. So, in other words, it can be refused. If you resist, if you're proud and you resist his will, then you don't get it. He mm-hmm. gives his grace to the humble, those who will submit. Yes. Okay. First Peter 5, verses 5 and 6, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So... Those verses definitely suggest, yes, it can be refused. There's there's a sort of a concept in the denominational world, and I'm afraid it may be trickling into the churches, that God's grace is some type of overwhelming power that just comes upon you, and that it just it, you it, it just it, it just sort of throws you against the wall and says you're gonna you're gonna be obedient, and uh, and we see here that, that God's grace can be refused and resisted. Exactly right, I think so. Uh, I'm uh, looking in the chat room real quick. Uh, any, uh, you may look there. You got yeah, it. You I've got, got it here. I've is been, it working? Are you locked I, up right I, now? It's been so bad. I've been just totally disjointed. And I can't. Uh, I can't follow the things in the chat room. Or not my computer's been. Is it locked up right now? No, it's not right now. But it, I, there's the discussion's gone so far without me that I don't know where they are. Right okay. Now. All right. Well, let's take the second part of that question. Can grace be lost after it was obtained? And I believe the answer to that is. Definitely yes. Uh, Jack says in the email, grace is always available, We can, but we can give it up. Hebrews 6, beginning verse 4, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the, grace to come, of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, seeing they have crucified themselves, uh, the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. So Jack suggests yes. I believe that would be true. One of the errors of Calvinism is the notion of the perseverance of the saints or once saved, always saved. Once God has extended his grace to you, then you can't ever lose it. Yeah. And, and, of course, that's not true. Maybe the best verse, Jacob, mm-hmm. Galatians 5, verse 4. Yeah. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Mm-hmm. We've often made the, the analogy there. You can't fall from something that you weren't already in. You mm-hmm. can't fall from a boat that you weren't in. Mm-hmm. You had right. to be in it before you could fall from it. Right. And so in order to fall from grace, you would have to be in grace. But Paul said you can fall from grace, therefore it can be lost after you've had it. Yes, 331 references that we can fall from grace when we're trying to be justified by the law. The servant says we forfeit God's grace that saved us from the bondage of sin when we turn our back. To, uh, when we return back to the old master of sin, Romans 6, 1 through 4. All right. Uh, Patrick says, likewise, the passage was, which was just read, God gives grace to the humble, suggests human action uh, predisposing a person to God's action. That's right. Okay. That's right. Uh, Jack says we can't say that God directly works uh, work directly in his heart. Uh, I guess we have to define what that means. All right. Okay. All right. So then let's go to this last question, Jacob. Yes. Okay. This one is going to take a while. Would grace allow us to disregard sin in our own lives or the lives of others, or would it allow us to overlook differences and extend fellowship to those who disagree on doctrinal issues? Okay. I got a I, I got a um, an outline off of a blog earlier today, and this just maybe gives a sense of 
um, what some people are teaching about this that I'm, I'm concerned about. Mm-hmm. Uh, this fellow says, if every sin separates me from the grace of God, I can never have confidence in my salvation. And so that statement means that he does not believe that every sin separates me from the grace of God. Therefore, the, the grace of God covers my sin. Mm-hmm. Even as I sin, I'm covered in my sin. He uses the expression there, uh, continual cleansing. Yep. Uh, he says, uh, those who are living in Christ with a penitent heart are continually purified. Uh, he references 1 John 1, verse 7, which I think is a misapplication of that verse for sure. Um, he says, uh, uh, well, I'm going to use a couple of his quotes here in, in a minute on the second part of this. I think this is, this is the scary thing that, that we've got to be alerted to because some of our own brethren are teaching that this this grace, and, and again, uh, the suggestion is it's sort of a mysterious thing, and I go back to a, a, one of the quotes in the chat room. I think guest 331 uh, said, uh, I don't see why people want to make this such a mysterious concept. It's a practical matter. Right. Uh, but s- s- some are suggesting through grace, I don't have to be totally concerned about knowing the will of God and doing it because he's covering for me, yeah. so to speak. And I, and I just think that that's a concept that's foreign to the scriptures. I heard a sermon that alluded to this, and the, the person presenting the sermon repeatedly said that this was a revolutionary concept, something that you know, is just totally earth uh, ground-breaking uh, and uh, revolutionary. When I hear things like that, it makes me a little bit nervous. But the idea was, well, don't get so uptight about it, you know? Uh, I'm, I'm always, I, I can't believe that, I, I don't know the sermon that you have reference to, but it, it really bothers me when anybody living in the 21st century thinks that they've come up with something new that nobody ever thought of. I mean, the New Testament, the will of Jesus Christ has been around for 2,000 years, and a lot of really smart people have studied it very thoroughly. Yeah. And for me to imagine that I've come along and, and figured out something that nobody ever figured out before me, that's real arrogance. Yeah. And it's not true. But you hear it, on, and you hear yeah. it a lot in this idea of grace. Is yeah. that, oh, the, the people are just all, they're all out, out to lunch on this, and we've figured it out. Well, maybe, maybe we've got to step back and think Maybe about that it. goes to that humility. He gives grace to the humble. Uh, maybe. <laughs> we need to back up and maybe. get a dose of humility. Maybe. All right. So th- that is the concern. Uh, and. And no, grace does not allow us to disregard sin. You know, the passage that was being suggested in that blog in 1 John chapter 1, real quickly, we're just about out of time, but real quickly, 1 John chapter 1, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this is talking to Christians, of course. John's including himself, so we know he's talking to Christians. But notice the conditionality right there in the verse that that they're trying to suggest involves some kind of automatic or continuous cleansing. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The passage does not suggest unconditional. There's a condition right there. Yeah. How do you get around that? Yeah. So... Uh, I, I don't think that the grace of God is a license for us to ignore or disregard uh, or to minimize any kind of sin in our lives. It's just not so. All right. Let us know your thoughts quickly. We're about out of time. Uh, that, that's something that, you, that, that, that idea pops up 
from time to time. About 30 years ago, this notion of continuous cleansing was a major controversy among brethren. There were even some debates held on the subject. It's kind of died down, but I think it's maybe going to flare up again here because some people are trying to take this notion of grace and use it in a way that is not justified in the Scripture, in my opinion, to suggest continuous cleansing. Okay. Now, so that's one thing. And the next question you ask is closely related to it. Does God's grace allow us to just sort of overlook? I mean, does God's grace tell us that some of these things just aren't that big a deal, that God's grace can cover over you think I need to do this and I think I need to do that? Maybe you think that there are certain rules that we need to follow, and I don't think they're that big a deal. Does God's grace just sort of put a blanket over all that and make it where it doesn't matter? This same blogist said, Our failure to understand grace-based salvation has often created endless, unnecessary division. We shouldn't be dividing. If we really understood grace, we wouldn't be dividing. Well, what if the divisions have been over doctrine? But we we don't need to divide over doctrine. We really understand grace-based salvation, as he calls it. Okay. In other words, doctrine doesn't matter. He says, uh, concerning doctrinal misunderstandings, believers do not always agree on God's will. This does not sever us from God's grace. In other words, we don't don't, don't agree on God's will. You think you have to be baptized. uh, You don't. And I think not. It's God's will, but who cares? But it doesn't matter, according to him. It doesn't matter. Believers do not agree on who do not always agree, but this does not sever us from God's grace. In other words, you could believe that baptism is necessary, and I could believe it's not necessary, and we could both be in God's grace. You think adultery is okay? I think there's a problem with it, but hey, you know. Well, where would you draw the don't... line? Where would you draw the line? If you're going to take that position, then are you also going to be the arbiter of which doctrinal issues are significant enough to divide over and which ones are not? I, I don't want to be in that position. And I don't think anybody has the right to be in that position except God himself. Uh, Well, in in fact, here's a doctrinal issue for you. How about circumcision? It's a doctrinal issue. There were divisions about it in the first century, and there should have been, because God's grace didn't cover over. In fact, if they had a misunderstanding on that doctrinal issue, Paul said they had fallen from grace. So, um, you know, what's interesting here in this blog, when, when this guy says, believers do not always agree on God's will, this does not sever us from the grace He uses Romans 14, verses 1 through 4, to justify his position on that. In Romans 14, verses 1 through 4, there wasn't any sinful thing involved. Nobody in Romans 14, verses 1 through 4, was committing a sin. Right. And so he's using a passage that doesn't apply to prove a point that's not true. Sounds like a straw man. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jack in the the chat room, or excuse me, by email, Jack says... um, Fellowship definition would be appropriate here, but I'm confident I understand your definition, so I would say no. I can't be of one heart and soul and be of one accord or have a common goal with someone who disagree with God's word, for example, on how one should be saved. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.11, we are to expose those who partake in unfruitful deeds of darkness, so extending fellowship to those would be a violation of God's word. You're right, right, Jim. We're about out of time, but uh, guest 331 says, I know for me, I used to think we were justified by how good we are, and when I realize that I'm saved by grace... And I'll never be good enough for God, but he declares me justified. It is revolutionary. Uh, well, it depends on how you define revolutionary. But, but, and I want to, maybe we, we're, we're out of time, but the idea, okay, and I've, I've seen that in some other stuff here. I used to think I was, we were justified by how good we are. And when I but, realized no, I'm. Now, wait, just stop right there. 
That was wrong when he thought that. Yes. N- n- and nobody's teaching that. Okay. Nobody's teaching we're justified by being personally good, our own personal righteousness. Right. You can't. The first sin. Well, we've took been care said, of that. How, how many times tonight have we say, said that we we don't deserve God's grace? Yeah. It's unmerited. Right. We've said that over and over. So you know. And then when I realize I'm saved by grace and I'll never be good enough for God, but He declares me justified, it's revolutionary. Well, revolutionary in what sense? In other words. Does but does the, I'm not sure how you use I don't I'm not sure how how the word revolutionary is being used well, but in, that, a, in that in that context. I, what about the idea I'll never be good enough for God? Well, no, I think that's true. In other words, we'll never we'll never be perfect. Right. Paul said he wasn't perfect. He kept striving for the mark, but he hadn't reached it. Right. In in uh, Philippians chapter two, uh, c- certainly we're all still going to sin and fall short of God's grace and need His forgiveness. Uh, but again, I, I, my my cons, uh, my confusion, I guess, is on how the word revolutionary is being revolutionary. Revolutionary means something, you know. If, if there's a revolutionary, if there's a revolution in our country, we're overthrowing something and putting something else in its place. I don't know. I'm not sure how that word's being used. All right. Now. All right. Well, we've uh, we haven't we haven't finished the discussion. We maybe bring it up on some other time. All right. I think, it's gotta... an, I think it's an important topic, and and. I guess my main concern is that I think some people are trying to are teaching some some elements concerning grace that are not founded in the scripture and then using those to jump to to positions that are way wrong. And I, just recently I learned of a, a fellow I know who was doing a lot of teaching on grace, uh, saying some things that I thought were without foundation in the scripture and now he's departed from the faith. So, mm-hmm. you know, what do we say? Yeah. All right. Grace does not justify sin in our lives, right. and uh, some people are saying that it does, and so we uh, we need to make sure we understand that. All right, well, Dad, thank you for the time tonight. Thank you, Jeff's been behind the controls. Jeff, we never asked you if you had any comments. Jeff, did you have any comments? No. All right, well, thank you for your <laughs> Thanks good Thanks for your job. good work, Jeff. All right, uh, we appreciate your participation on the program tonight. hope you'll be, make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.